0: I'm going to share with you the message that I had prepared last week, um, but we were snowed out or iced out, and um, I think it's more timely even today as we have just uh, concluded our our meeting about the capital campaign, and at the heart of of that uh, desire to expand our building is to expand our mission and our impact for the kingdom of God. And that's what I want to talk to you today about, is is mission. Um, when we went to the synod gathering every year, the clergy of our church and those who are interested in becoming clergy um, take a trip to Colorado Springs, and so it happens every February, and we have our diocese gathering there in Colorado Springs, and there's some, a time of encouragement, a time to hear what is happening in the diocese some business that we do as well but the theme of the diocese gathering was was mission and uh, we heard some wonderful stories about what churches were doing in our diocese to reach people uh, and uh, I thought about sharing several of these stories but we don't have time for that but I will share you the one story that kind of hit home with me there was a pastor who was talking about how God is is speaking to him about using his personal relationships and personal connections to invite people um, to discover Jesus, uh, to hear the Word of God, and how God was using him in sort of his everyday life to make those connections. And this pastor uh, had had a great love for basketball. And so every week he played basketball. He played basketball in the city park, started to develop relationships there. He played basketball, I think it was at the Y, a place like that. And he's been doing this for a couple of years, for two years now. And uh, one interesting, this is kind of a side note, but uh, the, the, the city park basketball uh, mission, <laughs> you might say, he started to get involved with a Catholic priest who also liked basketball. And then on Reformation Day, they had a basketball tournament or basketball <laughs> game between the Protestants and the Catholics in the town. I don't remember who won. Sarah, do you remember? <laughs> the so, yeah, the Catholics won that match. That one. <laughs> Counterfactual history there. Uh, but he was talking about the, uh, his time at the YMCA, and he had developed a relationship with a young man. And um, he said after one of these games recently, the young man was starting to share his life with him. And was talking to him about some difficult things that he was going through. And he felt, as this young man was expressing these things, that he felt that kind of nudge, you know. (laughs) You get where it's like the Lord is doing something here. The Lord's giving me an opportunity. I need to cross this threshold with this young man. And uh, so he did. He said, would you like to come to a Bible study sometime? And the kid said, sure. You know, where, when? Let's do it. And the point that this pastor was making, he said, what What took me so long? I've known this guy for two years. What was it that took me so long? And he said, it was fear. It was fear. Fear is a significant barrier to mission. Um, fear of inadequacy, not knowing enough, not being enough. Fear of failure. Fear of the sacrifice that this is going to take. This is going to take time. This is going to take me sacrificing my comfort to do this. It's going to take sacrifice of my resources in order to do this. Fear is a significant barrier to moving out into the mission that God has for us. Individually and even corporately as a church, I think it's safe to say. Oftentimes it's fear that holds us back. I want to share with you some truths from the New Testament reading that we heard that will, I think, help us break through this barrier of fear that holds us back from doing the mission that God has for us. And the first truth is that God is the one who calls us into mission and his call is based on grace, God calls us into mission by his grace. The call of the first disciples that we read about was a call of grace. Jesus did not call them because they were extraordinarily competent. And that's clear as the gospel story unfolds. They ask a lot of questions. They're clueless a lot of times. God did not call them. Christ did not call them because they were Extraordinarily holy. He called them out of his sheer grace. His favor extended to them. His goodness extended to them. After Jesus performed this miracle, this miracle of the miraculous catch, Peter realizes something about Jesus. He realizes that God's power and authority and presence is at work in Jesus. I mean think about this miracle. These are expert fishermen. They've been doing this their adult life, their whole life. And they've been at it all night trying to catch fish. They've caught nothing. Jesus does some teaching and then he tell it's interesting the way he phrases this. He says to the disciples, "Let's go out again." And he doesn't say, "Let's try it again and see what happens." He says, let's go out. You go out into the deep a little bit and you put your nets down for a catch. You are going to catch fish if you obey my command. He had supreme confidence that this was going to happen. This is showing the power of God at work in Christ. God, who is the creator of the sea, the ruler over the fish of the seas, is at work here. And Peter grasped that God's power and presence and authority is in this man, Jesus. That he is encountering God in Jesus. And what's his response? Depart from me, O Lord. For I'm a sinful man. Have you ever had that? Sense in the presence of God of your own sin and unworthiness and the gap between God and God in His holiness and His power and His goodness and authority and your sinfulness. You ever had that experience? Peter's saying, I don't want to be near you. Maybe I don't want to be near you because uh, I don't want to experience a sense of shame. Or maybe he's saying, I'm unworthy to be in your presence. Maybe that's all mixed in together. But he says, I'm unworthy. Depart from me because I'm a sinful man. And does Jesus say, you know, come to think about it, Peter, (laughs) you're right. You're not qualified to follow me. You've got some issues in your life. I'm going to go look elsewhere. No, Jesus says to Peter and the rest of the disciples who were reeling from this miracle they've just witnessed. He said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I will make you a fishers of men. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid, Peter. Jesus is going to deal with the sin in Peter's life. Jesus is going to deal with the issues, the character issues, and the places in Peter's heart where there's still rebellion and still pushing away from God. This is what happens when we follow Jesus. He he begins to remake us and deal with those issues. But we don't get qualified from the beginning based on our goodness or holiness or our competence or our intelligence. It's a call. It's a gracious call. You come and follow me. We'll deal with the issues. But right now I have a mission for you to do. I'm calling you by grace into this mission. It's not our holiness or competence that qualifies us to go on mission with Jesus. It's His grace. And we see the same thing in Paul's understanding of his own calling. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is aware of his massive failure in his own unworthiness. He's aware, uh, aware of his sin. He had been following, he thought, God's will for his life, but he ended up persecuting what God, the, the, the church of Christ, what God was doing in the world for his zeal for the law. He was persecuting. What God was doing through Christ. Paul. Was going in a completely wrong direction. And he thought he was going. In the right direction until he met. Christ. But Paul is aware of his unworthiness. He says I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. I'm the least of the apostles. But then he says. These wonderful words. He talks about the grace of God. But by the grace of God. You see, I am unworthy. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, all the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It was God's grace, Paul says, that has reached into my life, that started me on this work. And it's God's grace that sustains me in this work. It is all the grace of God. God's grace is the explosive force that gets us going. And God's grace is the fuel that sustains us as we engage in mission. So, brothers and sisters, this, I think, will help us combat some of the fear, some of the hesitancy that we have when we think about mission and outreach and evangelism, these sorts of things. Bishop Ross preached a powerful sermon at the close of our diocese gathering. And he said to us, he said, I want you to understand you are not defined by your fear or by your failures or your successes as a minister. You are not defined by what people think about you or what they say about you. Your identity is that you are a beloved child and daughter of God. You're a son of the king, a daughter of the king. You are defined by the grace of God. And it's out of that place of identity that we can move forward with confidence in mission. That we stand in the grace of God. So God has given us his grace. He has called us by his grace to engage in mission. And then God gives us the message of the mission. The message of the mission. Paul articulates this in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what he says. I received and This is what I've handed on to you. This is the core content of the gospel, the core curriculum of the gospel here. This is it. This is the core. And he says in verses three through five, for I delivered to you of what was of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the twelve. This is the core message of the gospel. It is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So the good news is that we don't have to rack our brains as we think about reaching people. What are we going to say or what do we need to say? What is the message that they must hear? We don't come up with the message. It's been given to us. Paul says, I receive this. I'm handing it on to you. I'm spelling it out for you. Here is the core. It is about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection to reconcile us with God, to bring redemption and salvation to the world. That's the heart of it. That is the message that we've received. And that's the message that has been given to us to share with others. It is very important for us. It's vital for us to be clear on the gospel message. Uh, One writer, Jay Stiles, says that we can make two mistakes when it comes to the gospel. We can make it too small or we can make it too big. We make it too small, he says, when we think of the gospel message as just something that punches our ticket to heaven. And it's just about. Getting to heaven and doesn't have a whole lot of implication for how we live today. That's a truncated vision of the gospel a view of the gospel. No, the gospel is to influence all of our life, our thinking, our relationship, our work. The gospel should inform our emotions. The gospel should influence us to be more and more transformed into the image of Christ here and now. Yes, it is, of course, this glorious message, this glorious hope of life with God in eternity, but let's not shrink it down to just getting my ticket punched to go to heaven to be with God. That's a truncated version of the gospel, but then let's not make the mistake of making it too big and too broad. And sometimes I see that trend in churches today and culture today where the gospel becomes about everything. The gospel becomes about living a just life or working for justice or living a moral life or being involved in the community or in the church. And those things are important. They have their place, but they're implications of the gospel, they're not the gospel itself. Those things don't save us. The same thing when it comes to mission, this term mission is a broad category and encompasses a lot of things. And churches do various things to engage in mission and outreach to the community. Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to be salt and light in this culture. We are to counter the decay and the darkness of our world today and our culture through good works that glorify our father in heaven. Jesus says you ought to do these sorts of things you ought to bring into the world, into your job, into your relationships, into your family, into the neighborhood. What is good and true and beautiful as a sign of the coming kingdom of God that is redemptive, that is part of mission. But at the heart of mission is this message <laughs> Those things are important and necessary. But if we just do those types of things, it's not sufficient because what saves people is what Jesus has done. And they need to hear about Jesus. And the core of it is what Paul is talking about here. His life, his death, his resurrection. That's the message that people need to hear. So that doesn't change. That makes it pretty simple and easy. Like this is what we're about. The hard part is communicating that message in such a way to gain a hearing in our culture today. And that's what we need to pray about and work on as a church. How do we reach the new generation, the next generation? How do we reach people who don't understand who Jesus is, has never really heard the gospel story, or who have imbibed a lot of negative ideas about Christianity today? That's the real challenge how to communicate the message in such a way that it gains a hearing and that's compelling to people who need to hear it. When we were at this diocese, one of, the, one of the preachers gave an example of how there is this increasing gap in some parts of our culture in some parts of our country between those of us who know who Jesus is and those of us who don't. And he, I think it was a personal story or maybe it was a friend, talked about um, walking downtown and I don't remember which major city in, in, in the United States, with a cross on his neck, and somebody came up to him and said, why are you wearing that plus sign? (laughs) A a legitimate question. They really didn't know what it meant. An Australian uh, minister who uh, has a gift of evangelism, and he reaches out to young people, he reaches out to high school students and city workers and doctors and lawyers, I think he's in Sydney, he said, the common view that I, I come across, the man on the street view now, When I talk to people about Christianity, is this. They say, they think, Christianity is on the side of hatred and intolerance and bigotry. And secular people are on the side of tolerance, love, and justice. That is the common view in a lot of cases, in a lot of places. We're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) The culture has changed. We all know that. We see that. We're not to shun the culture. We're to reach the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we bridge that gap? How do we do that? That's something that we need to really think and pray about as a church. But the good news is that the message has been given. The message that everybody needs to hear is relatively simple at its core. It has profound implications. It's very deep in terms of its impact. But the message itself is about what God has done in Christ to reconcile us to himself. And so we have this message. We've been given this grace. And as we share the grace of God in this message, we can be confident that we're part of God's plan and purpose for the world. God has a plan for this world, and it's a plan of salvation and rescue and redemption. And we need to understand that he's called us all to be part of that plan. This is our purpose. Notice when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about the work of Christ. A couple of times he says, in accordance with the scriptures, he died. In accordance with the scriptures for our sin. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's an unfolding plan of God at work here that God prophesied in the Old Testament that this is what was going to happen. And now this plan is unfolding. And Paul is part of this plan as well. He is proclaiming this message of salvation. Paul became part of this plan when he responded to God's call to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. It was said about the Apostle Paul in Acts 9, 15. God said about the Apostle Paul, he's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. God called Paul to be part of this plan of salvation by proclaiming this message. That was his purpose. The disciples were part of God's plan. Christ called these particular men Peter, James and John from this particular place, Galilee, of this particular background and vocation. They were fishermen. He chose them. He knew that they could reach certain people with the message of the kingdom of God. Some people see in the calling of these fishermen a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jeremiah 16, 16. God prophesies a day is coming. He says... Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. It's the image of bringing the people of God back to Himself. In the Orthodox Church at Pentecost, they sing a hymn which has this line Through the fishermen, God, you drew the world into your net. It was through these particular men that God was at work. He had a plan and purpose for them. And here's the point for us, brothers and sisters. It's no accident that we live at this time and this place. It's no accident that our church is here. This very spot at this time and this place. The relationships that you have. The work that God has given you to do. The family that you have. The connections that you have. The neighbors that you have. None of this is an accident. You were called as a disciple of Christ. To bring the kingdom of God, the influence of God's kingdom into those spheres, into those relationships, to build these relationships and to be able to share the message of Jesus Christ. We all have a role to play. in the unfolding plan of God's salvation, we are his ambassadors. And so this is our calling. This is our purpose. This is what God has called us to do, and he's given us what we need, his grace and his message. And and now it's a question of not being afraid. Jesus said to his disciples, so don't be afraid. He's going to be with us. He's given us what we need. And he's asking us to look around at our life, this season of our life, and to see the opportunities where we can join him on mission." This is a great there's a great sense of purpose that we have as we engage in this and we can be confident that God will supply more and more grace as we move forward in these things. Let's pray together. I just want us to think about that. I want us to consider this season of your life and the relationships that you have and the connections that you have. Where might God be calling you to be more intentional? Intentional, rather, uh, to engage with people for the sake of the gospel. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you give us discernment and uh, courage and boldness to move out in mission for you. Thank you for many people in this congregation who are doing that very thing even now and can testify to your goodness and grace as they, as they seek to make your gospel known. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will renew our commitment to this as individuals and as a church, and you'll help us to make the sacrifices that are necessary to go forward. For your glory we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.